0: I always try to think through those three currencies, time, energy, and attention. So which one am I lacking the most? If you don't have time, then you wanna make sure you create more time in your day so you can do the things you wanna do, right? If you don't have the energy to do things, we wanna make sure we give you more energy somehow so you can do the stuff that you wanna do. So we wanna make sure we have the time, we wanna make sure we have the energy and also the attention focusing on the right things. Happy people are productive people. So whatever you can do to focus on your happiness and improve your happiness uh, will help you become more productive. We stand today. This is Method the with Shadow. The
1: Business Method.
0: The Business Method podcast.
1: The Business Method podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneur systems, methods, tools and tactics. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring high-performing entrepreneurs and high-caliber people dissecting their different methods, tools, and strategies so we can apply them to our businesses and lives. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built seven-figure businesses that can be ran anywhere in the world. And currently we are interviewing a hundred major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business, affect income, results, economies, and cultures, especially post COVID. Since we moved into a post pandemic world, the landscape has changed drastically for most business owners. We're finding out what is working for the entrepreneurs out there that have positioned themselves well to make sure their businesses thrive, succeed, and continue to experience growth in this current economy. And now. Let's hop into today's show.
0: The Business
1: Method. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the podcast or welcome back to the podcast. We have a friend of mine on the show today and I'm really excited because he's also a productivity expert and we're gonna dive into the world of productivity from how he he sees it. He is the host of the productivity show, the founder of Asian Efficiency. His name is Tan Pham. Tan, welcome to the show, man, how are you?
0: Thanks Chris. I'm really excited to be here today and kind of share some tips and strategies to help people become more productive. So uh, that's you know one of my main passions in life, just helping people become more productive at work and in life. So really excited to be here. Great.
1: The great thing about this show is that we're literally like five minutes away from each other, but we're still recording it on Zoom. We're both in Austin. You're downtown. I'm just over the river on on in Travis Heights. Um, but it's always kind of funny. One time I did a show... Uh, with a guy and I had no idea. He was like an SEO guy. I had no idea he was going to be so close. Um, And he was literally like 200 yards away from me in Thailand. And, uh, (laughs) and you never know where you're going to find people. But, um, but yeah. So uh, I don't know where to start out because like, I think there's so much you've been in, in been running Asian efficiency for nine years, right? Nine or 10 years. Right. And were you into productivity? Were you like a productivity fan before that? Or did it all kind of start when you decided to start Asian Efficiency?
0: It was honestly purely by accident. I've always been someone who loved reading and studying and just living my life to its fullest potential. So I've always been interested in goal setting. When I was like 12 or 11, I started reading personal development books. So I've always been into kind of like growth in general. But it wasn't until I got promoted at my first job when I was about 19, 20, um, when I really said, oh, man, I need to figure out how to be more productive because I'm so behind on work. I just got promoted. I have all these responsibilities. I have all these clients. I'm responsible for growing the top line revenue and have all these different things going on uh, on top of managing different team members and so on. So I said, whoa, I'm so behind. I need to figure out how can I actually get ahead at work now? And so I started um, studying like different gurus out there at the time. You have David Allen, you have, you know, Brian Tracy, you have Tony Robbins, all the big names that everyone probably has heard of at some point. And uh, I ran- remember it's randomly, um, I was living in LA at that time, seeing a book on my uncle's desk and it said, getting things done by David Allen. And I thought, oh, this sounds interesting. Um, you know, I've seen it laying around there, but never really looked into it. And then when I needed the guidance of uh, how to figure out how to be more productive, I reached out to him. He said, yeah, you should go check out this book. So I started reading that book and really helped me solidify kind of like ideas that I had and ways I could improve my own productivity. And long story short, I tried all sorts of different methods some of it worked for me some of it didn't some of it made my life even worse <laughs> and so after a while i kind of created my own personal system around productivity and how to focus and how to be productive uh, specifically around digital technology tools because a lot of stuff that was being taught and was written about was just like you know do this on pen and paper and uh, it doesn't really take into account if you have a, a digital you know task manager or a to-do list and this was also at the time when the iPhone just came out and that was you know, really revolutionary because it changed the way we looked at information, received information, how up-to-date we were with everything, using our calendar, email, and so on. So there was nothing like that out there at that time. And I said, you know what? I need to create my own system around that that's technology friendly. And so uh, eventually I c- kind of created my own personal system. And ever since then, uh, been kind of like writing about it. And I said, hey, you know what? Um, I get a lot of questions from friends and family about how I do these things now. And so I started to document some of my findings on a blog called Asian Efficiency. And uh, I said, Hey, you know what, I'm just gonna do this once a week and just post about it. And I share it with my friends and family. And after a while, it took a life of its own, where people were like, Whoa, this is great content. Uh, People started linking to my website and wanting to hire me and offer, you know, more advice and say, Hey, this is what you should do. And also, are you available for coaching or do you have any courses or eBooks available? And that's when the light bulb moment went off. And I said, Oh yeah, we should turn this into a business because a lot of people are needing this apparently. And that's how it accidentally turned into a business about a year and a half later. So,
1: so it was, so you kind of started this all creating the system when you were around 19 and then you started the business accidentally uh, when you're about 22 or so.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yep. Had, had you want, wanted to be an entrepreneur
0: before or did you just kind of fall into it? So my first business, I started when I was like 13. I read Rich Dad Poor Dad when I was 13. And, um, you yeah, know, I come from an Asian family and I'm, you know, instilled ever since I was young to be a doctor or a lawyer, you know, or, um, or anything in the, you know, the STEM field. And so... I was always, you know, raised with that mindset and it wasn't until I was literally like hanging out on the IRC channel. I don't know know if you remember those days, but uh, there's like the local chat rooms rooms back in the day where most of the programmers and kind of like hackers were hanging out uh, because I taught myself how to code. And so... Um, I would literally go to the library every single week, read the books I could, you know, find, even though I couldn't afford them, I would read them at the library. And anytime I had some sort of pocket money, I would then buy books um, and, and take them home and t- teach, my, teach myself how to program. And so there was this guy on there. He said, Oh man, I, was, I just read this book for a step before that, you know, changed my life. And I was like, wow, okay, let me go check out this book and start reading that book. And I thought, Whoa, this is such a mind bender because it's the exact opposite of what my parents told me. And so I was really excited and motivated to say, Hey, I can actually take control of my life in that sense and create my own future. And so uh, since i taught myself how to code, um, I decided to essentially you know, lend my services by creating web applications for people. And uh, that's how I got my first clients uh, because I was one of the first people who created a uh an open source RSS reader at that time. And so uh, I published that in PHP and um, a lot of people ended up using my code and wanted to hire me. And then I started hiring my friends to come come work with me because I was getting so many clients that I taught my friends how to code. And so um, I did that for a few years. And then once I moved from the Netherlands to the States, um, the time zone difference made it really challenging to keep up with the business. So I eventually sold it to my best friend and that uh, was kind of like moving on from that point. And then it wasn't until a few years later when I started my second business, which is, is the business I still have today, which is agent efficiency. Got it.
1: Makes sense. So uh, you did mention like some of those productivity tactics, uh, made you perform worse, then it made you perform. Then made you perform better. So I'm curious. Like, do you remember some of those some productivity hacks or tactics that you've applied um, during the past or any time that have uh, actually been worse for you than more effective?
0: Yeah, this is one of those things where you kind of have to discover by just doing different things, and over time you kind of figure out what works for you. And one of the things that worked for others was scheduling every hour of the day or scheduling every thirty minutes of your day. And if you read other people's uh, schedules or how they do things, like there's a big VC, I won't name him necessarily, but uh, I'm, I'm sure if I pop his name, you'll, you'll recognize him. And he has his day scheduled by 15 minute chunks. Like he knows exactly what he's doing every 15 minutes and that works for him. And I tried something like that too many, many years ago and I was driving myself absolutely crazy. Uh, because if I would go over one minute, I'm someone who's you know, really detail-oriented and I like to stick to my schedule as much as possible. And so if I have every 15-minute schedule and I go over one minute, I feel like, oh my gosh, it's gonna cascade into a big disaster. I'm a loser, yeah. such a loser. This is, this is not <laughs> gonna work for me at all. So I tried it for a few weeks and a few months and it just you know, drove me absolutely crazy. So it worked for others, but that was one of the strategies that definitely didn't work for me. Uh, I'm definitely someone who follows a calendar and um, I can maybe schedule like two, three, four things at most in my day, especially if it's in a one hour block, but anything more than that, that's kind of like when I go, okay, this is more than I can really handle Um, because I do like to have like buffer blocks in between stuff that I do so for example whenever you and I finish our podcast there's things I have to do as well like I might have to send you some links or things to follow up with you or say hey thanks for having me on the podcast and so on I wouldn't want to wait necessarily two days because I might forget or you know other things might be coming up so every process in my mind always has an off-ramp and so I always like to think about okay as soon as I finish something there should be some time and energy and resources allocated to off-ramping the task that I'm doing right just like when I'm finishing writing I just don't just stop Um, when I'm finishing writing I start to write down okay here's some next steps that I want to take next time I want to pick up this article again or if I want to edit it next or maybe I want to send it to someone who's going to review it or Um, The next step might be, hey, I need to create some illustrations or graphics or I need to do some more research. So I know for next time when I continue this piece, I know exactly what I need to do. Or at least there's at least some sort of off-ramp process. And so when you think about anything that you do in life, any process or activity or task, there's always an off-ramp process. Whether it's like one minute or even just five to ten minutes, Uh, when you start to see how that's true for pretty much everything you do, You'll start to notice that uh, if you can just spend just a few minutes every single time you finish something to go through that off process, uh, you'll make your life so much easier for next time when you get started uh, because you know exactly what you need to do or uh, you already closed an open loop so you don't have to think about it anymore and you can just move on.
1: I agree with you a hundred percent. Like I can schedule about four to five hours per day that's blocked off, but also need that off ramping process. It's just like a time that our brain can decompress and use a little bit of creativity to, to do follow-ups and think about what's next. Like, I think it's really healthy. And I, like, I've tried that also, um, you know, booking, you know, every, every hour throughout the day and it drives me nuts as well. I don't know how people do it, but if it works for them, it works for them. That makes sense. Um, any, anything else, any other productivity hacks or strategies you've tried that you found that really didn't work well for you?
0: Oh, um, another big one. This is maybe a little extreme for some people, but um, some people try to maybe sleep like multiple hours a day throughout the day. So instead of one long night of sleep, you sleep maybe for a few hours and then you wake up and then you you know try again. You work on some stuff and then you take another uh, rest period you sleep for a few hours and um and that's, you tried that that's little... <laughs> like four hours on that.
1: four hours off four hours on
0: yeah, yeah. that kind of thing and just, that drove me absolutely crazy too so <laughs> I'm willing to try anything once I'm willing to try all sorts of crazy experiments just for the sake of just figuring out what works for me and what works for a lot of people um, and that's what we're kind of known for at AE as well as we're willing to try a lot of different things but here's actually the stuff that we've tried, not just me, but also other team members as well. And this is what's working for us. And this is how we're going to teach it to you as well. Uh, So we're willing to be the guinea pigs in that sense and make sure that uh, our audience understands that, hey, this is worth all experimenting. This is maybe not so worthwhile to experiment with.
1: What are some some newer productivity strategies that that really surprised you that you've tested out and you thought, oh, wow, that's working much better than I thought it would? Um, well, I think like within the last couple of years or something.
0: Yeah, I think sleep is a really big factor. Um, I think there's more awareness now around sleep. And if you zoom out one level above that would be recovery. So I think as high achievers, we're always looking for ways to do more, do more, do things faster, do more, uh, do things more efficiently. And there's always go, go, go. Right. Um, but if you look at even professional sports and something I'm very obsessed about, Um, You see, there's a big emphasis on recovery nowadays, where it's, yes, we play a basketball game or a football game or a soccer game. And it's not just moving on to the next thing. But now they're talking a lot more about nutrition. They're talking a lot more about sleep and recovery, right? And so there's a big movement in health and wellness in general around recovery. You see this translating into overall performance at work as well. And so um, sleep is one of the biggest factors, right? So at Asian Efficiency, we teach this framework called T, time, energy, and attention. So there are like three currencies, essentially. And if you don't have time, then you want to make sure you create more time in your day so you can do the things you want to do, right? If you don't have the energy to do things, we want to make sure we give you more energy somehow so you can do the stuff that you want to do because you can be, you know, the most strategic person in the world you can have the best tools available but if you have no energy to execute it doesn't really matter what you know it's not going to get done right so we want to make sure we have the time we want to make sure we have the energy and also the attention focusing on the right things because as you know nothing is more frustrating than spending all this time and energy and money on something only to realize it's the wrong thing and so we want to make sure that those three currencies are always maximized. So that's, that's why we call it the T framework. And so energy, I think, is the biggest, newest thing that people are really becoming more aware of. So sleep is a big factor. Uh, nutrition, I think, has always been a big factor, but it's now even more important where people are becoming more of what they're eating, right, and how it's affecting their you know, glycogen levels and like their brain fogginess in general. Uh, I know some people, like, you know, if really simple example if you find out that you know you're a celiac uh so you can't eat gluten but you continuously eating gluten and you feel bloated and you don't feel that great by just removing that you feel so much better right it makes it easier to focus um and so on So, so Paying attention to that sort of thing has become, uh, I think, a big trend in our industry.
1: Do you, so I don't know if you noticed, but I've, I'm wearing a whoop band and I know your buddy Tim wears a whoop band also for quite a few years. Do you track your sleep and recovery um, with in any ways?
0: Yeah. So I have a Aura ring. You have Aura. ring. Yep. Okay. So I'm a big there fan is. of that. Been using that for the last two years. And uh, so that's what I use to track my sleep and my performance and just overall recovery. And I think that's a big tool in the last few years as well that a lot of people are using now. So uh, it's kind of interesting to see anything you see kind of like in a biohacking world kind of taking place, eventually is gonna make it mainstream at some point. And so, um, yeah, definitely like with the whole sleep, you know, movement going on and also just like recovery, I think now with the Apple Watch being very accessible, I think more people are becoming aware now saying, hey, it's Wednesday, if I have two glasses of wine, I'm probably not going to be as focused the next day. So maybe I should postpone having two glasses of wine to just Fridays when I have my weekends uh, and avoid drinking, for example, on Wednesdays. Uh, But every body is different, right? Some people process that much better than others depending on their hormone levels and just like, you know, some uh, things that they naturally have versus other people. And so uh, everyone is a little different in sense, which makes it so interesting. But that's why I think the more we zoom out on the high level, in terms of time, energy, and attention. Once you kind of know where you need to focus on, it makes it a lot easier for you to strategize to see what you need to be doing. What's your sleep schedule like? So right now, um, I usually change my sleep schedule twice a year. And is directly related to the seasons. So as it's getting colder and it gets darker earlier, I also go to bed earlier. And so uh, by the time it's around December and and January, I usually try to be in bed by like nine o'clock because it's already dark. There's usually nothing going on outside. It's way too cold. So I like to be in bed early. Uh, And then as soon as summer hits, then I usually like to stay up later because there's more social things going on. Uh, The sun is out later. So around that time, I could go to bed anywhere between 11 or one, depending on on the day. And so uh, as we're now entering the kind of the colder season, I'm also seeing myself going to bed earlier and earlier and earlier. So right now it's about 10, 1030. Uh, So give it a few more weeks and it'll be nine o'clock sharp. Yeah. (laughs) And in wake up times, do those shift as well? Uh, Not so much. I usually know that I need about seven and a half hours of sleep, right? So in When when I say sleep, I really mean seven and a half hours in my bed. Uh, How many hours I typically sleep is anywhere between six, six and a half or so. But um, that doesn't really change as much. I know it changes over the years a little bit, but uh, for me generally, it doesn't really change much. And I also know that if I want to have a good quality night of sleep, uh, my body just for some reason just wakes up as soon as it hits sunlight. And so uh, if I go to bed at two o'clock, I just can't go you know, seven and a half hours later, and wake up at say nine thirty. Uh, I'll typically just wake up at seven thirty or so, or whenever sunlight uh, comes. And so I know that the later I go to bed, <laughs> uh, the the poorer my sleep will be generally. And so um, you know, there's always this challenge that I think a lot of people come to me about, and I'm sure you've been asked this too. Is well, you know, I like to have good sleep, but I also like to have a social life. So, like, how do you balance the two? And I think uh, there's, there's kind of like pros and cons to both. Like you kind of have to figure out a way to balance them. So for example, I typically don't go out Monday through Thursday as much, but then I'll be very socially active Thursday through Saturday. And that's kind of a lifestyle choice that I've made to say, hey, you know what? Uh, my sleep might not be the best because I'm being social with people um, or I might have a few beverages or beverages, but uh, for the rest of the week, I'm trying to be hyper-focused and really take care of my body and recovery and my mind Um, so that I can be optimal at work. So on the, on the weekends then, Dan,
1: um, do you find yourself going out, uh, on the weekends during the winter time? So you're not hitting that nine o'clock bedtime or is that, do you try to still go to bed early on the weekends?
0: I'm definitely less socially active during the colder months. So, uh, I might go out maybe once or twice, um, where it's when it's sunny, probably three or four times a week. Um, But yeah, definitely less active. So I maybe, you know, do a night in more often, watch some more. I actually think I watch more TV uh, during the colder months Um, and also just like try to stay in as much as possible. So I won't be as active. And so I do some of my most important work during those months as well to kind of like make sure that the rest of the year I don't have major projects going on. Um, So it's, you know, I'm a big believer of just following cycles and seasons. And so during the winter months, when I'm not so socially active, I try to do a lot of my writing, uh, working on courses and projects and just trying to think like six months ahead of time, or even 12 months ahead of time to say, hey, this is how I want my life to look like. And so what kind of rocks or movements do I have to put in place right now so that in the summer, I can travel or be socially active with people or do all
1: these different things and so on. And and so the winter times, then you're still doing those seven and a half hours or so. Then you're getting up about five o'clock or so.
0: Yep. Yep. So I'll wake up pretty early when it's still dark since I just go to bed earlier. Right. So the, the secret to waking up earlier, which is something a lot of people want, is simply just to go to bed earlier. <laughs> it's really mind-blowing right it's really that simple there's no particular strategy or tip or life hack is just go to bed earlier and you'll wake up earlier right so um one of the things that i do recommend is i have this thing called a very lux happy light so it's kind of like a light therapy device so the challenge is um if you wake up early and it's still dark and you're inside a lot of times, especially if you're working from home, you probably don't get enough sunlight. You probably don't get enough vitamin D. And I've done a lot of blood tests and I've been vitamin D deficient. So I've been kind of helping supplementing that, but also with the Verilux Happy Light, you can kind of like put this light on your desk and it will shine like kind of like sunlight on you without the UV rays. So it's not damaging to your skin, but it will help you one, wake up to you get the vitamin D benefits from it. And so when it's still dark outside at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock in the morning, you can still feel like you're awake because it helps you wake up too uh, and get enough sunlight in your daily daily life as well. Because I, uh, I found out that I'm affected by SADs, Seasonal Affective Disorder. And it's basically what that simply means is um, you easily get affected by kind of like um, – your mood gets easily affected by the weather. Meaning if there's not a lot of sunlight, it's easier to get a little bit depressed or a little bit more moody. And I didn't realize this until I went to the Netherlands where I grew up uh, one time during a winter. And I was sitting inside for a few days and I go, man, I, I I don't know what's going on. Like, this is the worst I've ever felt. But I'm around family, I'm around friends and like, you know, and there's all these good things going on, but I still feel a little sad, a little depressed. And I was looking into it and I realized, oh, I'm one of those people that easily gets affected by uh, sad seasonal affective disorder. So if that's you, you know, stock up on vitamin D, uh, definitely recommend 35,000 IU at least a week. And then also getting something like a light therapy device, like the very Lux happy light that I have.
1: And then, and then are, are you trying to go out and get sunlight every day then?
0: Yeah, now I try to do that every single day. So part of my morning routine is to step outside uh, while it's still sunny, right? So even right before we're recording this podcast, uh, I was trying to step outside, just um, I have a sweater on right now, but I was like taking my sweater off, you know, having just a t-shirt on just soaking up the sun because it does really impact your mood. Um, So it's one of those like simple routines or habits, if you wanna call it to incorporate into your life, that makes a big difference uh, because one of the things I always like to say is happy people are productive people. So whatever you can do to be happy, meaning you get enough sunlight or you do the things you truly enjoy, it makes you automatically so much more productive. And so without knowing how to do GTD or any productivity strategy, if you're just a happy person in general, you're going to get stuff done. So whatever you can do to be happy, uh, try to focus on that. So happy people are productive people. I love
1: that. Um, And I heard also you do regular staycations where you go uh, every couple of months or so you go out of town and you stay somewhere and just relax. And I think you're off work and you kind of journal and think during that time. Is that right?
0: Yeah. I try to do it at least once a quarter. Um, Once a quarter. Okay. One coming up, Um, I started and I've experimented this a lot. So I'm glad you asked this question because I used to fly to different places. And the great thing about living in Austin is that because you're centrally located in the country, each coast is two and a half, three hours at most. So there's not a lot of flying time. And if you want to go up north to go to Chicago or something, it's like two hours at most, too. So you're centrally located, which is great. Uh, You're trying to get out the city to kind of like disconnect and not be anchored by your environment um but i found that if you want to g- get the same effect of just coming back home feeling recovered you can also just drive an hour away uh be it in somewhere in the woods and then come back you know 3 days later and you you get the same effect and so i started to travel a little bit less now um because travel time does add up when you're flying that takes away from the recovery time and so being able to drive and since we're in austin you know texas hill country is a great area Uh, you go anywhere south or east or west uh, and you're pretty much in nature so i try to do this every quarter uh for at least three days i found that to be the sweet spot so if i leave like let's say on thursday late thursday come back on a sunday uh that's three days for me to be able to just like recover and just be disconnected from work and ideally disconnected from the phone as well and so um Every trip is a little different because some trips are more about like thinking about stuff. So I like to like strategize and think more creatively about where my business might be or where I want to take my life. And other trips are more about just purely mental recovery. And it really depends on the quarter as well. If I worked really hard this past quarter and we did a lot of different things, we're pushing big initiatives, then the staycation is usually focused around recovery. Um, other quarters are might, might be a little bit simpler and not as pushing as much. And so Typically around that time, I try to then strategize and think about what I want to do next. And I'll have like a list of questions that I prepare that I'll bring with me and then go to uh, the staycation location and think about and ponder about those questions. So every staycation is a
1: little different. Do you stay, uh, try to stay off devices during that time or just kind of depends on the staycation?
0: Yeah, I try to stay as much uh, as I can away from electronics. So no TV, just having a book with me uh, because I'm connected to devices all the time anyway. Like I'm working from home. I have my phone with me all the time. So anytime I can disconnect from that, the better. And so uh, some staycations, I recently did one where we we did a digital detox. So it was me and three other friends. Uh, We went out of town for uh, three days. And we said, Hey, no phones, no internet, nothing. Just us for just hanging out for entrepreneurs and just trying to talk about life and business. And that was great. And that was a great way to kind of reset. Uh, there was no other intention other than to digitally detox. Uh, but I've also done staycations by myself, which is oftentimes what I do frequently. And for those times, um, I usually just try to bring a book, pen and paper, and just let my mind go wherever it goes. Um,
1: When you did the digital detox, Tan, did you you miss your devices?
0: Um, Not really. I think what made it easy is when you have company, it makes it really easy to go through it. I think if you do it by yourself, uh, it's definitely harder (laughs) because you're you're with your thoughts and it's easy just to grab your phone (laughs) and nobody else is holding you accountable, right? I think if you go with a partner and you both have that intention, that makes it a lot easier too. Uh, I've definitely tried it by myself and I definitely noticed it's a lot harder to do by yourself, um, also, the more remote you are, the harder it is, I find. So for example, I went to Fort Lauderdale and I was literally by the beach and being able to detox from my phone or computer was a lot easier because if I was hungry, I could just without going, typically I would go on my phone and figure oh, this is a nice place. I can walk here and so on. Uh, but this time I didn't have to because I could just walk downstairs, turn left and I would find a restaurant somewhere, right? So I didn't have to do any sort of research. So Uh, That made it a lot easier as well when you're in kind of like a major area. It makes it easier to disconnect rather than if you're in a rural area, I find it easier to go, oh, let me just check real quick what's going on. Um, Because, you know, just in case, because I'm here by myself up in the woods, you know, something goes wrong or I missed out on something uh, that makes it a little harder.
1: If you are detoxing in a rural area without other people around, what are some of the things that you could do to avoid going back onto your phone or computer? Uh, Any activities or things you've come up with that, that really works? So
0: I would say just leave your laptop and tablet at home. That's the first tip is just leave those devices at home. I know with the phone, I think it's crucial to bring it with you for emergency reasons. But then once you do arrive, just turn it off and I just kept it in my backpack. And so I would travel with my backpack with my phone in it just in case, but I would just have it turned off. And um, I think the other thing that really helped with me uh, throughout this process was just having this curiosity mindset of, hey, remember those days when we're growing up when we had to use like an old school map to kind of get around? It's kind of like recreating those days where, you know." When I had to go downstairs to the concierge and I ask them, hey, I'm looking for some Mexican food. Where would you recommend I go? They say, hey, if you exit a hotel, turn left and at the stoplight, turn left and then turn right. I go, OK, great. Now I just have to force myself to remember those directions and then remember the name. And if I get lost or I don't know, you would have to ask a stranger and say, hey, I'm looking for this place. Where do you think this is? And so if you go in with that mindset of just being curious and just, you know, recreating those old days in a way, uh, that makes it really fun for me. So when I was in fourth law, as an example. I kind of did that. Um, So it's, you know, it's one thing you kind of have to learn as someone who's really obsessed about productivity. Not everything is going to be efficient or timely uh, because typically... My default mode is to go. Okay, we're gonna to go to this restaurant at 5:30. This is this is the way to go. Here are the directions. We're gonna hop in an Uber, and then you know, here we go. Uh, so we know we're gonna be there at 5:30. And so now, uh, having my phone turned off, I'm gonna go whenever I want to go. Whenever I feel hungry, there's no schedule, right? There's just kind of you kind of go with the flow. And I will arrive in the way that I will arrive. It might not be the most efficient. I might get lost, right? Uh, I might have to wait a few minutes instead of making a reservation. Um, I can't call to make reservations. So I have to ask concierge if they can do it for me. Yada, 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 yada. It's not going to be the most optimal or the most efficient, but it will be done, right? And so just turning my brain off in that sense to go, hey, not everything has to be optimal or efficient was kind of nice and relaxing for once.
1: Well, the thing the thing too with the like the phones, there's there. I mean, they help. Ha- they when doing that, you're avoiding when you're using your phone for directions and planning everything, you miss out on the opportunities to have, you know, some little subtle connection with maybe the person that's running the concierge or the front desk of the hotel or asking somebody for directions. And I feel like these are like the next generations that like a survival skill for them is going to be like read a map or find a restaurant without using your phone. And for us, you know, it was like what we did growing up. We just went to the concierge. We went somewhere. Hey, where's, uh, ask somebody, you know, where's a good place to go? oh, where's a good place to, to eat and that sort of thing. Um, my dad and I did a, a father-son trip around the coast of Ireland. And one of the things we wanted to do, we did book Airbnbs every day Um, but we didn't know where we were going to go every day. And we would ask locals like, Hey, where should we go the next day? Where's the the cool places around here to go visit? And we found these secluded beaches and all these little hidden gems around because we're just asking locals, like, where do we go the next day? You know, we're going around the coast. We want to end up in this area. What do you guys recommend? So, um, yeah, those are, those will be survival skills for the next generation. But, (laughs) right. Um, so you talked about your own system, Tan. So when you're, when you're young and you ne- realized you needed to create your own system to be productive, uh, which then turned into Asian efficiency. Um, and I'm sure you've mentioned a few of the things that's within your own system so far. But uh, can, you, can you give us a broader view or a more detailed view on what your, your productivity system looks like these days?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So it's relatively simple. Um, I'm a big believer of a few big ideas. So first one is the T framework: so time, energy, and attention. So anytime I don't feel like I'm doing my best work or I'm not feeling my best or I'm just not as productive as I could be, I always try to think through those three currencies, time, energy, and attention. So which one am I lacking the most? Is it the time? Is it the energy or is it the attention? Am I focusing on the right thing or not? And for example, if I feel like, oh, man, I'm, I'm not as focused or I'm not as energized as I could be, then I know, OK, it's probably a time or an energy thing. It's not a time thing. It's not an attention thing. I know what I need to be doing and I have the time to do it. But if I don't have the energy, it's not going to get done. So, OK, now it's like a, this diagnostic tool to say, OK, If I don't have the energy, why is this happening? Am I sleeping right? Oh, if I'm not sleeping right, okay, then I need to address that. So I'm going to go to bed a little little earlier. And so you kind of use that framework to diagnose where I need to focus on just personally to figure out what I can do to optimize my performance, right? So that's the first thing. Uh, So it doesn't require any tools or technologies, really just optimizing how you show up for work. That's really the first and foremost and most important thing that I think a lot of people should be thinking about. So as you're listening right now, Just think about that framework, time, energy, and attention. If you're not that productive right now, where are you lacking the most? Which currency is kind of like empty of the the third? Maybe it's two of them. Maybe it's all three of them. Maybe it's just one of them, right? So fix that first. And then the other approach that I always take is the rule of three. So what that simply means is that for every single day, I try to accomplish three major things nothing more, nothing less. I just try to accomplish three major things. And also for the week, I try to accomplish three major things as well. And so it's, for me, it starts on Sunday and the Sunday is when I do my weekly planning and I have like a checklist in Evernote that I run through where I plan my upcoming week. And it takes about 40 minutes, 45 minutes or so, but those are the most valuable 45 minutes of my week because I know that I have, first of all, three outcomes defined that I wanna accomplish that particular week. I will also plan my next day as well. So on Sunday, I will plan my Monday and I try to follow a strict Monday through Friday schedule where I know every single day I have three outcomes that I want to shoot for. And again, those three outcomes are related to the three outcomes of the week, right? So for example, if, uh, if one of my outcomes for the week is to work out five times in a week, I know that every single day, one of the outcomes is going to be working out that's relatively so simple. it's
1: not those three things aren't always business related they no. could be personal related okay could gotcha. be personal
0: related as well yeah um and so i try to always like make sure that's one of three outcomes for every single week three outcomes for the day and if i just follow that then i know i had a productive day because i think the challenge a lot of people have is they can't answer the question how do i know if i had a productive day or not how do I know if I had a productive day? If you cannot answer that question, it's really hard to be quote unquote productive, right? It's, it's trying to almost like hitting a, a target that's always moving. And if you're a business owner, that's a really important question, not only to ask yourself, but also your team members, your employees as well. Because if your employees don't know if they had a productive or productive day or not, it's hard for them to really level up and perform at the highest level and to be satisfied with what they're doing. Because otherwise everyone's always just working, working, doing, doing, doing things, but they're not really knowing if they actually hit their target or their mark and be able to say, okay, I did my job. I feel good about myself. I can go home now. I can stop working and then show up again the next day to do the things that are required. Right? So ask yourself that question. How do you know if I had a productive day? And if you cannot answer that question, you got to figure out how do I answer that question? And so that's why I set those boundaries by saying, here are three major things I want to accomplish every single week. And here are three things I I want to accomplish every single day. And those three things for the day are changed every single day. So on Sunday, I'll plan for Monday. And once I finish my Monday uh, outcomes, then I'll reassess what do I need to do tomorrow to make sure I hit my outcomes, right? So for example, what might happen is, um, and again, life is never perfect, right? So that's why I want to adjust every single day where, If my outcome for the week is working out five times in a week and on Monday I miss my workout for whatever reason, then I know that I need to somehow make up for that extra workout. So either the next day I do two workouts and if that's the case, I might have to schedule an early morning workout on a late workout so I can kind of manage that. Or I might say, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm gonna have to work out on Saturday or something like that to make up for that as well and kind of plan for that. And so I like to adjust every single day. And so if you just follow that simple principle of the rule of three, three outcomes for the week, three outcomes for the day, what well, you start to notice that one, you're not going to be peddling all the time, trying to figure out, okay, I'm going to do 15 things in a day. Cause realistically, like you said, if you just block four hours a day of working, that's a lot of work in, in reality. That's a lot of focus time. And for me, that usually is around three major initiatives every single day. So uh, on top of that, I still, you know, check email and do all the you know, miscellaneous things that need to be done. But the three things that I pick are always things that are moving things forward. So these are things I intentionally pick to say, hey, I want to move these projects or goals forward.
1: And do you always plan on do the weekly planning on Sunday, anytime during Sunday? Or do you do it in the evenings? Or
0: Yeah, I have a very strict ritual around that. So it's always Sunday at six o'clock uh, when I try to do my planning. And then um, by the time I'm done, it's like 6.45 or so. Like I have the rest of the evening cleared out so I can do whatever I want to do. Go to bed and then feel like, okay, I'm ready for the week and I'm good to go. And so if I miss that somehow, then I'll try to make up for it in some other way. So either Monday morning, or if I know that I can't do it Sunday evening for whatever reason, I'll try to do it earlier on the Sunday. But I really try to make it a routine for myself to do it every single Sunday. And I know of everything that I do in the week, this is the most important step that I have to take. And if I miss that, then I know the rest of the week, is just not as productive as it could be.
1: Have you ever had like really busy beginning of the weeks or for whatever reason, have haven't gotten to planning your week till like even Tuesday or Wednesday before and still gone ahead and planned your week out from there?
0: Yeah, that has happened a few times, especially when I'm traveling. Uh, If you cross multiple time zones, sometimes stuff like that happens. Um, and even then I will say if I just start let's say planning on a Tuesday as an example, that's still that planning aspect still makes a major difference for everything else that is coming up. So it's not necessarily the process itself that's so so valuable. It's just being aware of what's ahead and just knowing that, for example, okay, I have Uh, For example, a lot of errands to run on Thursdays. I have to go to the dentist, I have to drop off this piece of mail and so on. And if you know that you have a lot of errands to run on a Thursday, but you're then also trying to accomplish like three major things that day, they might actually counteract each other, because you could not be running errands and doing these three major things at the same time. And so if you then schedule those things both at the same time, you might, you know, kind of like frustrate yourself when intentionally you don't actually have to. And I've had those days too where, yes, I want to do these three major things or a lot of different things, but also I have to run all these different errands. And by the end of the day, I go, man, I w- man, I didn't have a productive day at all. And it's because I just didn't hit my mark when in reality it was virtually impossible to hit that mark right and so we we set our own standards we set our own benchmarks and if we can be intentional and be aware of what's coming up and how we can set those standards it makes it a lot easier for us to hit our scores and hit our targets i've found the same thing like some
1: occasionally like i'll I'll, you know i'll be so busy i can't plan until tuesday but i've even planned as late as wednesday you know it's like wednesday morning and i'm like should I even plan? And I'm like, Oh, I'll just go ahead and try it. And then I do it. And I still feel like I have a very productive week at the end of Friday, just because I planned Wednesday, Thursday and Friday and Monday, Tuesday, you know, whatever happened, I was traveling or um, sick or something, you know, and I didn't get around to it. So um, the, so you have your weekly planning schedule and you talk to to us about that. Do you do do any long-term planning, like yearly, you know, decades, uh, lifetime planning, any any type of systems around those?
0: I've tried all sorts of different things. For me personally, I started off with annual planning. So I said, hey, here's like one major goal I would like to accomplish or two major things. And that kind of works. But then I started to break it down to quarterly where I do every single uh, quarter, like one major initiative. And I found that to be much more effective. So I do have some like major goals in life that I might try to accomplish like in 10, 20 years from now. Uh, And I look at those every now and then, but I'm hyper-focused around what I do in the next 90 days. That to me is kind of like the sweet spot because you can make a lot of progress in 90 days while still going in the direction you wanna go towards, right? So for example, um, if I wanted to grow my business to a certain size, then I can make a lot of headway in 90 days to, to do that. And that might be an annual goal as well, but I need to have a sense of urgency as well to focus and do things. And if you set annual goals, I find that you miss that sense of urgency because you could say, oh, well, it's, uh, you know, we're four months in now. Uh, We still have, you know, eight months left. Yeah, I think we're gonna be fine. Whereas if you set quarterly goals or 90 day goals, you go, oh, I have three months. If I uh, don't do something for the first month, I only have two months left. So having that sense of urgency really makes it a lot easier for you to focus and and stay focused and say, hey, um, I need to accomplish this. And also uh, like you and I have talked about when we were at the park the other day, um, when you set quarterly goals, it also gives you the flexibility to say, hey, you know what, uh, I accomplished this, but now I want to shift focus and I want to focus on something else now and chase this new opportunity or idea. And if you set annual goals, you kind of limit yourself to say, hey, I have to maybe wait a whole year (laughs) before I can chase this other opportunity when in fact, if you do it, you know, a few times a year, meaning once a quarter, I think that's totally fine because there's always new opportunities coming up, right? Things are changing so much faster nowadays, especially with the pandemic. It's so much harder to even predict one year from now what you could be doing, what should be happening. Uh, and so now it's even more important to set short-term goals and be able to f- focus for just the next three months.
1: So your focus for the quarter, then the, the one thing is, is around business. Do you set little, other little goals around you know, health or relationships or social life or anything else?
0: Yeah, so usually every quarter, I have like one business goal that I try to focus on and then one personal goal as well. So at any given quarter, I always have like two goals that I'm trying to pursue. One personal one for quote unquote work or business. And so for personal stuff, it could be anything like fitness related. It could be like how many books I want to read or how much time I want to spend on education. It could be something around the home. So, for example, I've been really into plants lately. So one of my goals was to make sure that none of my plants die (laughs) this quarter (laughs) because I have a tendency to let them die somehow. (laughs) (laughs) So... Uh, so there's all these different goals that I have and some, some are related to travel, some of them are related to finances, like certain money saved up or a certain credit score, right? Uh, there's all these different goals that I have in my personal life that I always try to focus on. And it's so true. What I find is whatever you focus on expands, right? So if you want to improve your finances, focus on that for a quarter and that expands. If you want to improve your credit score and you want to focus on that, magically it starts to grow in the right direction. If you want to focus on making sure your plants stay alive, guess what? They're going to stay alive somehow, right? So whatever you focus on um, really expands. And so I think it's so powerful for us to be able to say, hey, let's just focus on one thing at a time, both work and personal. Um, We can have everything we want, right? But not all at the same time. I think that's a common saying. And I I think that's really true.
1: I often find that I get uh, multiple really awesome opportunities that come across my plate and I'm torn between which direction to go. Do you have a process where, um, you know, say, say you're focused on one thing for the quarter and two or three things come across your plate that you really want to work on for the next quarter. How do you, what's your process of weeding the other two out so you, and then finding one that's best for you to focus on?
0: Yeah, so we have a process at Asian Efficiency we do every single quarter. Um, there's a couple of things that I always look at. Um, one is feedback. I think customer feedback is really important as you're running a business. Customer feedback gives you a sense of what your customers really need and what their thoughts are and where their attention is going. So we look at customer feedback every week, but also every single quarter I go over like MPS feedback, um, which is the net promoter score. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, it's basically, you've probably seen the survey where you get asked, hey, on a scale of one to 10, how likely would you recommend this product or service to a coworker or an employee? Uh, so look, look into that if you've never heard of that net promoter score. So um, we look into that feedback as well. And so um, I do customer calls every single week. I spend about 10 hours a week on just on the phone or on Zoom talking to customers, because uh, one of the habits kind of picked up from like other CEO training that I've done is, the best CEOs are very much in tune with the marketplace. And if you wanna be in tune with the marketplace, you have to be constantly talking to people uh, to get an idea of what's going on in their world, You know where they're spending their money, what they're reading, what they're up to. And so that always drives a lot of different decisions and ideas. So if there's any big takeaway from this section here, I would say really listen to customers and look at feedback. Uh, The other tool that we like to use is called an ICE matrix. Um, So ICE stands for impact, confidence, and ease. And so if you just list down the list of projects that you have and you create another set of columns called impact, confidence, and ease, you would then basically score them and say, uh, let's just say I want to publish a book It's one of my projects. Then I would write down on a scale of one to five, what the impact would be, right? One would be a very low impact, five would be very high. And then confidence would be to say, how confident am I that this is going to work? So five could be really high, one is low. And ease is just how easy would it be to pull this off? And then you would rate that one through five. And so for every single project that you have, you would then score them. And then once you have the score, you multiply them. And I can link to a blog post that I've done about this on how we prioritize stuff. But basically you start to notice that, one, you start taking out the emotions of the decision-making process, but also too, if you involve your executive team or other team members to help score those projects, you then uh, start to realize like some projects have much more opportunity or impacts or um, are much easier to execute than others. And so then you can have a discussion around it and say, hey maybe this is the next opportunity that we should pursue. But uh, I do keep a running list. It's something I recommend everyone does is anytime I have a new idea or a new opportunity comes up, we'll keep it a list and we'll try to revisit it every single quarter to say, hey, is this still a good idea? If yes, okay, let's try to chart it out on the ice matrix. Let's we'll score it and see uh, what what comes out and then we'll have a discussion around
1: it. Do you have, um, I know we mentioned you know, working, uh, blocking off four to five or three to three to four or five things per day. Right. Uh, and then having some decompressing time. Do you have a, like some, uh, a structure for your work hours? Do you like to do, you know, four hours of focused work a day, five hours? Are you just okay with eight hours and then taking time off? Cause what I've seen you, what I know of you, it seems like you have a really healthy work, um, balanced social lifestyle. And so I'm curious, like if you, you know, do you do, use hard stops every day? Uh, what's your day look like in that respect?
0: So one of the best tips I found, especially if you're working from home, is to have a hard cutoff time, because when you're working from home, I find that most people have a hard time balancing work and life. And so you might find yourself in a situation where you go, uh, you, you take your laptop to your bedroom and you're checking email late at night just to make sure you're on top of things. And uh, once you get to that stage, work and life just kind of blends in and there's no separation. And so there's no work-life balance. It's work-life integration, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but I think most people can't really handle that very well. And so for me, having a hard cutoff time where I stop my day every day at 4 p.m. forces me, one, to have a sense of urgency to say, hey, I need to get everything done before four o'clock And then the second thing is because I know how to answer the question of how do I know if I had a productive day or not? um, I can answer that question by accomplishing the three major things that I set out to do. So if I accomplish those three things, I usually like to start my day around eight, seven, if I wake up a little early, but seven or eight o'clock, and then I'll just go as long as I can or need it until four o'clock to get it done. And as long as it gets done, uh, the three major things, and I did my miscellaneous test, like checking email and so on, then I just call it a day. So some days I might be done by by uh, noon or lunchtime. And some days I might take longer until uh, four o'clock. But usually once it's four o'clock, I usually try to really stop working. If I don't hit my three outcomes, then one of them will just roll over into the next day. And I know that, okay, I tried, I didn't have a super productive day. So I'm going to have to try again the next day and that's okay. What
1: are you doing on your off time? So like, say you take, take off at noon, you've got all your three things done or early in the afternoon. What are you doing for the rest of the afternoon and evenings?
0: Ooh, there's a lot of different things I like to do. Uh, one is I'll just text some people or call people and say, Hey, do you just want to hang out and do something? Um, I'm a big fan of going to this place in Austin called generator athlete lab. So to have like, the, the, the saunas the, the cold tubs the hot tubs I'd like to do some sort of recovery work as well um, I'll text my trainer if I'm done earlier and say hey can I squeeze in an extra workout with you um, I'll do some extra reading so I'll bring a book with me and just go to like a local coffee shop or the park and just sit there and do some extra reading um, or if I'm done early I'll just take my laptop and just start planning other things like planning upcoming trips i love traveling so anytime i can plan an upcoming trip uh, i'll I'll do that so there's a lot of things i'm always doing Uh, not always like recovery wise but just whatever extra time i have i just try to work on the next thing but usually not work related so
1: i I get this a lot people people tell me that i'm they they believe that i'm a very calm guy and grounded and rooted um and then i kind of have a zen type of personality but You know, when I when I hear that, um, knowing my own internal world, um, my internal world is like things are going a thousand miles per hour. I'm thinking of projects and businesses and all these opportunities, all these things that I can do. Um, But I guess I, you know, come off as a very calm, you know, and and grounded type of person. Um, I'm curious if you get that because you seem like, you know of a Zen master. You're just like have this cool, even personality. You know, you're really clear and focused on everything. What's your internal world
0: like? I do have uh, a lot of things going on upstairs, um, but I've also learned uh, through hard times that when you try to focus on so many different things, that you can never really accomplish what you want to accomplish. So, for example, in our company there was a time where we had three quarters in a row where we didn't hit any of our targets, not even remotely close. And and the reason was we were just so spread out thin because we were trying to focus on so many different things at the same time. We're trying to launch a conference. We're trying to launch a new course. We're trying to do more online advertising. We're trying to hire more people. Uh, There's all these different things going on. And it was also at the time when the company was growing pretty fast. And so when we're trying to focus on so many different things, we were never doing one thing really well and nothing really got progressed or nothing was making much progress. And that lets you really low company morale where for three corners in a row, because we weren't even remotely close to finishing anything, uh, people were losing momentum and morale for the company. And we started to lose money in the company as well. And so that was a really tough lesson because uh, you know, there was financial incentives that weren't met. Uh, the company was losing money uh, as a result of that. We were losing people as well. Um, and so we kind of hit a low point. And that's when I really had to learn the lesson, the hard way to say, hey, if you're trying to focus on too many different things, it's just you, you it's one thing to hear about it and logically know. It's another thing to actually experience it and seeing it firsthand, not only impacting you, but also other people in your world as well. And that's when it went, oh, man, I really need to be more. Uh, Diligent about this and just focus on really just one or two things. And once we start to focus back on just doing one or two things, and yes, that involves making tough decisions to say, I'm going to say no to this, or this is going to have to wait, right? Uh, Once you get through those tough decisions, we start to notice that our company started to perform better financially, but also the company morale went up because now we're starting to hit our targets again. Things were getting done. There was a lot of movement forward now. And so that was a tough lesson I had to learn. So now when I, my mind is going a thousand miles an hour and have all these ideas and people are coming up to me with new opportunities. Sometimes I still find myself going, oh yeah, I really want to do that. But then I remember that area where I go, oh yeah, if I do five things at the same time, it's not going to be good. So let's just focus on one or two. And yeah, as the CEO, I have to make those tough decisions and, uh, you know, live and die by those. So um, I'm okay with that, yeah.
1: How are, you, how are you guys making targets in the company? Are those directly related to your one one goal per quarter with the business?
0: Yeah, so every quarter we always have one major rock that we try to focus on and then we have like a minor. And so the major rock is always the, the number one thing we're trying to focus on as a company. So every single sprint, so we have like two week sprints that we run because um, we follow Scrum. So we want to make sure that we're always following one major initiative every single sprint. And then the minor, it was kind of, it's kind of like a nice to have, it would be nice to have this done, but if it doesn't get done, that's okay too. But we are trying to squeeze in a certain amount of resources, every single sprint as well to kind of like progress on this. So to give an example, one quarter, we tried to launch a new course. So it was like the major initiative. And then the minor was uh, fixing like 15 bugs uh, that we have identified that are somewhere on our website or somewhere on, 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 on one of our courses. And so... I, part of my job was one, creating all the list of things that needed to be done, right? And the strategy around it. And then every single sprint, we would just make sure we're always focusing on the one major initiative, which is launching the course. And everyone knew like every sprint, single sprint, that's what we're trying to focus on. And then I would try to squeeze in like a little minor in there saying, Hey, let's try to fix this one bug if we can, the sprint as well. And if we do that every single sprint, uh, tiny improvements lead to big changes. So I'm a big fan of just you know making tiny little tweaks every, every time you can, because over time it will lead to bigger changes. And so uh, one tiny bug fix will lead to fewer customer support tickets, right? Uh, one less refund. Um, and if you can just make those little little tweaks every single quarter, uh, I think it will really benefit you in, in the long run. And so we're always trying to focus on just like one major thing, and then one minor thing that would be nice to have to be done.
1: You, you mentioned a two week sprint, Dan, do you, are those like two weeks on, two weeks off, two weeks sprint, two weeks, how does that work out?
0: Uh, no, it's just every single two weeks, um, the, the, the start of the sprint and then the end of the sprint. And then we start a new sprint again. So at the beginning of the two week cycle, I say as quote unquote, the product owner, as that's the, the sexy word for it, I say, Hey, here are the outcomes that we need to hit for the next two weeks. Uh, these are related to our quarterly goals, right? So here are all the things that need to be done. And then the team and I will quote unquote negotiate and say, hey, this is what's realistic. This is what's not realistic. You know, here's all the resources that we have available. Some people are going to be off. Some people are going to be there. And so we kind of have our own planning process around that. And once we all come to an agreement that, yes, this is what we're going to get done, then the team starts moving and they start executing. And, uh, and then we'll revisit again in two weeks and say, okay, let's look at what happened over the last two weeks, right? And we, then we run our review on retrospective. So it's another fancy word for saying, hey, let's demo what got created and what got done. And also uh, let's talk about what didn't go so well uh, and what could we do better in next sprint. And so there's a lot of learning that's happening there to say, hey, this didn't go so well because I didn't have access to this, you know, this tool or I didn't have the my computer was not powerful enough to be able to render this video so I need a new computer or this person was absent so we couldn't do this so now uh, we need to document this process so if that person never goes away we know what to do next uh, so you learn a lot every single time uh, you work through these cycles and so once we've done that then we start the next sprint and we go over the same process again where I say hey Here's what we're trying to accomplish over the next two weeks is realistic. And then we kind of repeat that cycle.
1: Do you ever get tired of, about talking talking about productivity?
0: No, no, I can talk about <laughs> it forever. <laughs> never, never. Yeah, I'm always learning and growing. And um, for me personally, this is not just a hobby or like a, a passion anymore. It's just, honestly, it's a lifestyle at this point where like, you know, I started learning how to do a morning routine, like 12, 14 years ago, whatever. And even to this day, I'm still tweaking it every single day, uh, even if it was just minor tweaks, right? So as an example, right now I have like a gun, which is like a percussion device, right? So you can, so can kind of like, it's like one of those self massagers. You've probably seen them, right? And oh, okay. that was yeah. kind of like a new thing in the last few years. And now I have one of those now. Now I use it every single morning to kind of get myself ready, right? Which I wouldn't do a few years ago. So as my life changes, also my habits and routines have to change as well to keep up with that right so it's always evolving
1: yeah i find that as well like once you get a routine you you've got a even a planning schedule sometimes like you've got to continually make it evolve depending on the season of your life or the chapter of your life or whatever is happening in your life um and it's good to stay flexible but also you know give yourself that that consistency at the same time have you noticed tan so I've heard this before like um, people say that the the productivity stuff it it seems like people are saying the same thing just in different ways and to different types of people. Have you noticed and you've been in the business for a long time, have you noticed an an involvement or a change in productivity strategies over the past decade? You know, and obviously one would be moving to more technological devices, but um, do you feel like all the productivity stuff has been um, talked about and shared, and just people are kind of like changing, um, changing the, the foundation of it all, and communicating a little bit differently, and and continuing to to give, quote unquote, what they call new productivity hacks, but it's really doing the same thing.
0: Oh, um, I I think you can apply that to honestly everything in life. Um, even if we just like for example at fitness. I mean, there's a new diet every single year that is getting the rage and there's a new workout program. But at the end of the day, uh, the foundation is always the same, right? So like calories in, calories out, how much you burn, expand, and so on. And, you know, some of the vehicles might change a little bit. But at the end of the day, that's really what it comes down to. And I feel like productivity is very similar to that, um, where some of the strategies I think are always going to be there and that are going to be here today, 50 years from now as well. Um and so we're, we're trying to teach the timeless uh, stuff that works today and also works 50 years from now to our clients as much as possible. And so some of the tools that we have available now make it a little easier. So for example, like having an Apple watch or an Oura ring or a Whoop band makes you look at your recovery score as examples So it helps you get more insight of how your body performs and how you can adjust, right? Which is a brand new thing. But at the end of the day, the the same theory is still there, which is, you know, if your body is... at at a healthy and optimal level you're going to be much more productive than the other person who is maybe not as recovered right and it's just the tools that we have available to us might be a little bit different and so i do think you know some of the things that are coming out are going to be kind of like different spins on what has been working already And um, but i also think that's a good thing because sometimes people need to hear it from a from a different story or a different source or from a different angle and uh And if that wasn't the case, then I think personal development would have died a long time ago because I think when it comes to personal development, most lessons have already been figured out thousands and thousands of years ago, but now we're just being being taught differently. And we just, you and I also have to be reminded of them in different ways.
1: Yeah, I, I saw this YouTube video recently of this older gentleman And he was saying, I've been to all the personal development conferences, I've done all the productivity hacks, I've uh, studied with the biggest, you know, gurus around the world, I've meditated with Buddhist monks, you want to know what I learned? Be grateful. You've got to be grateful to change your life. That's it. And and it kind of makes sense, right? But we have all these different ways to to figure out, you know, the, time, the timeless and the true ways of being productive. But sometimes we just hear, need to hear it in different ways in order to understand it. Um, I know you're a big fan of LeBron James and Kobe Bryant. And uh, you're big into the sports world and basketball. So I'm just kind of curious, what about those guys really inspire you? And maybe who are some other heroes of yours that you look up to
0: yeah so i'm a big fan of sports in general so moving to the united states is one of the best things i've ever done because this is a country that is obsessed with sports and sports coverage is twenty four seven, which is unlike anywhere else in the world um so i'm a big fan of lebron james and kobe ryan just because one they play for my lakers so that's my team <laughs> and they just won this year. So that's good. But also, just Kobe Bryant seeing him play, but also just hearing stories about his work ethic and what it takes to win and just his attitude and mentality about winning and just doing whatever it takes to get stuff done, uh, even playing through major injuries and still winning and then getting stuff done really uh, gives me no excuse to say if I'm waking up and I don't feel great about myself. I have absolutely no excuses compared to what this guy has done and played through. And so that is something that I find very inspiring. And then uh, LeBron, um, he is, he's somebody who's really heavily focused on his body and recovery process. He's uh, you know, pl- entering his 18th year, which is unheard of, still being the best in his sport, uh, which is also unheard of at his age. And so a big credit to that goes to not only his workout program, but his recovery He's notoriously known for his recovery process. And I've taken a lot of like lessons from that where I go, oh, yeah, as entrepreneurs, we are athletes in our own ways um, because we work our minds a lot and maybe not physically as much, but our minds and creativity is very important there. And we need to recover and take care of that, too. So um, I've taken a lot of lessons from that as well. So uh, that's why I started going to Generator Athlete labs, as an example. A lot of the tools that they have there is stuff that he uses personally. And so, anytime I see greatness, whether it's a sport or a particular industry, uh, I'm not so uh, interested in the person itself necessarily, but really what they're doing in general to be so great at what they do, and the behaviors that they have, and the mindset, and so on. Um, and so, it doesn't really matter, honestly, which sport it is. I could be interested in tennis, or you know, someone who just dominates the the trash industry or the garbage industry or whatever. Um, If someone's great at what they do, I'm always fascinated by why, like what's driving them? Like what are they doing that no one else is doing? And so uh, I just happened to watch a lot of sports and just fell in love with those two two people who play for my team. So that made it a little easier to uh, continue my research.
1: Um, So I'm guessing basketball is your favorite sport. It's
0: actually my second favorite sport. Soccer has always been my number one uh, or football, as we like to call it outside of America. (laughs) But yeah, uh, Chelsea is my team uh Ajax, which is from amsterdam is my team as well
1: um any other athletes that you really look up to between uh, besides those guys you
0: yeah, know i think roger federer i think is a really interesting guy who's naturally very gifted at what he does playing tennis um and he's kind of like a guy who's not really well known outside of tennis uh but he's you know the goats as they call him, at his sports. And there's not a lot of written about him. Like if you do any sort of research about his recovery process, he doesn't take ice baths or anything or ice cold tubs. He doesn't do any of that. So you go, what, what makes this guy go for so long? Right. And so, um, as you're, as you're just doing your research around him, you just start to study that, you know, he's just naturally very good at what he does. It takes care of his body in his own different way. Um, and also his attitude about just like life and, what to do off the court as well is something I, I think is really inspiring. Cause like he's one of the few athletes in the world that has like no scandalous, you know, story around him. He's just overall good guy. And if you're in the spotlight so much, it, I think the, one of the hardest things is not to have any scandalous stuff around you, uh, which I, I think is very hard to do. We're in the spotlight so much this is something I really respect about him as well.
1: You mentioned being inspired by LeBron's uh, recovery process, and that's why you got a generator lab. Um, what are some of your your favorite things to do at generator lab that really helps you recover more rapidly?
0: So I first got to introduce, I'm sure you're aware of this too, like the Wim Hof um, training, right? So I did that many, many years ago when uh, Wim Hof like, just started to come, kind of come out and people were kind of hearing his name. And so I did an ice bath and I was like, oh, this is the absolutely craziest thing I've ever done. And then you start doing your research and you go, oh, this is actually really good for you for many reasons. And so doing a cold tub, uh, which is kind of the same equivalent, like you see people doing cryotherapy, which is kind of like the same thing, uh, but I find the cold tub a little bit more uh, effective. And so that's something I do every week, like two or three times a week. Um, I also go to the sauna, which has many health benefits also for longevity reasons. So that's something that I'm interested in now as well, as just figuring out ways to live longer. So longevity is an interesting topic to me. Uh, so going to the sauna two or three times a week has shown, you know, t- to help you fight off, you know, illnesses, diseases, but also to live longer. And that's something I'm definitely interested in. And so uh, those two things are because they're available at generator athlete lab here in Austin and try to do those two or three times a week. And then the thing, I could never figure out what they were because I always would see them on other athletes where those, those boots or those sleeves you put over your legs and they kind of like are black and they look all compressy. They compress stuff. So they're called the Norma Tech um, sleeves or boots. So they kind of like compress your legs and um, increases blood flow and helps you recover. Um, so that's something I try to do as well. Uh, two or three times a week. Yep. Nice.
1: I know you're from Amsterdam. Do you ever see Wim Hof swimming through the canals in Amsterdam <laughs> when you were back home?
0: <laughs> no, when I uh, whenever I go back, I never see him there, but I always try to meet up with him. Uh, we have a few friends in common, so I always try to see if we can uh, have dinner or something like that. But uh, so far, it hasn't worked out yet.
1: Uh, maybe one of these days. I have a, a good friend that uh, went to university in Amsterdam. He grew up there as well. And he said, you know, when when they were kids, they would see Wim they would see a crazy old man swimming in the canals, you know, and they thought, oh, I'm this crazy old man. And all of a sudden he became famous and now he's Wim Hof, you know? <laughs> um, well, cool, man. Uh, I think, yeah, we'll kind of wrap things up here, Tan. Yeah. Uh, so we'll let uh, the listeners where they can find you at and we'll give all the links in the show notes and everything. But any final words regarding productivity that you'd like to leave the listeners off with?
0: I think the most important thing for anyone that's listening right now is just like I said earlier, happy people are productive people. So whatever you can do to focus on your happiness and improve your happiness, Uh, will help you become more productive as a person. So you don't have to have the the right strategies or the right tools or the one tool in your life to to fix things. Honestly, if you just become a happier person, you will automatically become a more productive person. So happy to share more links and notes uh, around that on our website, uh, in the show notes as well. But uh, just happy people are productive people.
1: And the best place people could find you at,
0: asianefficiency.com?
1: Yep. Is that the best Yeah, just go one? to AsianEfficiency.com.
0: Okay. And we also have a podcast called the Productivity Show where we have a weekly episode coming out as well.
1: Yes, and I've been listening to it. It's a very good podcast on productivity. Um, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thank you for sharing all your tips and tricks and wisdom with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. You're welcome. And listeners, we're going to wrap up there. Thank you guys for tuning in once again, and we'll see you on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high-performance productivity coaching and our five, six, seven, and eight-figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.